Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this on a Sunday night. We had a really cool service today. The weather in St. Pete was not great. It was rainy. It's still kind of rainy, but man, (laughs) church has just been so cool lately. We're having so many first time visitors that I can't talk to them all. Like there was people that came today. I didn't even have a chance to say hi to them, which I feel bad about. So if you're listening and that was you, my bad, (laughs) but that's so cool. Like we're not really advertising or doing anything right now. We're trying to keep things pretty chill because of COVID and the restrictions. And somehow people are still finding out about us and coming out. And so just from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. It means the world to know that this little thing that we, you know, kind of came up with and put out into the world and we didn't know if it would work <clears throat> and uh, it's kind of working. <laughs> so that's incredible. So just thank you. Um, we're going to jump right into the podcast today. Uh, the only thing that I really want to point out is um, next Sunday is our mental health day. We're really excited about it. Mental health is something that different church is very passionate about and not being afraid to say when you need some help and taking the steps that you need to take to make sure you're okay. Uh, It's one of the things that Hannah's always gonna talk about, and we're bringing in some real experts next week from Sunshine City Counseling. You're gonna love it. Uh, If you have any questions, feel free to shoot us an email, hello at diffchurch.com. Hit us up on social. It's kind of gonna be an open forum, and we're just gonna talk about mental health. Anything that you are curious about or wanna know more about, bring that with you or let us know ahead of time, and we will talk about it next week. That's it. Uh, We're going to jump straight into Hannah's message. Uh, We talked about Jeremiah and we are calling this episode, The Weeping Prophet. We're going to talk about Jeremiah today, a very interesting passage in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. And Jeremiah was a prophet in the nation of Israel, specifically Judah, in before it completely fell, like around 586 BC. So he's pretty famous. He's known as the second of the major prophets, the first being Isaiah. And he authored the book of Jeremiah, obviously. And also, first and second kings in the Bible is attributed to him. And also, the book of Lamentations. There is a book in the Bible called Lamentations. It is excellent. We will totally do a study on it sometime. And every time I read it, my emo teenage self just rejoices. It is like all of the bad things in the world. It's like a simple plan song, but in the Bible, and for a much, much longer period of time. So (laughs) Jeremiah wasn't just a little-known person in Judah. Like, he was very well-known, and everyone hated him. (laughs) Nope, I don't know how he made it into the Bible, honestly, as the second major prophet, because nobody liked what he had to say. It was all doom and gloom. He was basically, this was his message, you better repent, terrible things are going to happen to you. Quit worshiping false gods. It's literally the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. No other gods before Yahweh. Y'all suck. And seriously, the worst offense is that some of you are sacrificing your children to Molech. Cut it out. That was his message. Terrible things. You're awful. Do better. Now, I mean, we hear something like, oh, yes, sacrifice your children to a god. And we're like, what is wrong with these people? How could they participate in something like that? Now, 
there, it, let me just say, there's no excuse for that kind of behavior, okay? I'm not attempting to justify sacrificing your children in any manner, but you should know this was not an uncommon practice in that time period. And not just in Israel and its surrounding countries like Egypt, the gods in Egypt would demand this sometimes, the gods in Greece, the gods in Rome, and they would demand that you sacrifice your children. I can't imagine. Like, I will... I'm, I would fight someone right now. I'm not very strong, so I'd probably lose. But I would fight someone right now if they were like, God has demanded your child. I'd be like, uh, no thank you. But it was very common. Not that everyone participated, but it was common enough for everyone in the realm to know of child sacrifice, that it existed and they probably knew someone who did it. In fact, it's so common that if you're a gamer and you've played Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is set about less than 100 years after the fall of Judah, less than 100 years after Jeremiah is writing these words. One of the main subplots, and it's based entirely on Greek history and mythology, is that the main character's dad sacrifices one of his kids to appease a god. It's, everybody knows about it. And the god of Israel, Yahweh, wants nothing to do with child sacrifice. And the Israelites know this. They've known this since Genesis. We've known this since Genesis, where God says, Abraham, Sacrifice your son Isaac to me. And I've heard a lot of sermons about this where they're like, yes, God never was going to take Isaac's life. You just have to be prepared to give God your all. That's really the message. No, wait, what? that is not the message of that passage. The message of that passage is Abraham doesn't flinch. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess God wants me to kill my kid. So, okay, I'll do that. And then God says, no, I don't want you to kill your kid. I am not that type of God. Now you will know something about me from this point until forever. You, all the gods you've experienced in your life, all of the worship that you've experienced in your life so far, I am not like that. I do not want human life. So don't you do it. And Israelites knew this. This is like banned completely for the rest of time. And yet, some of them are participating. So Jeremiah calls them out. He calls him out for that. He calls him out for all kinds of things. And his entire life purpose is like fighting against this evil that people are doing. And, you know, shockingly, they just didn't like him very much. <laughs> he never had anything positive to say. He was always accusing them of all sorts of things, telling them to repent, telling them to turn back to Yahweh. They actually nicknamed him Danger Everywhere, which, I mean, that doesn't really roll off the tongue, honestly. <laughs> but what a nickname! Danger everywhere, because that's what he was preaching. Danger, Will Robinson, everywhere. <laughs> Terrible things are going to happen to you. He was also known as the weeping prophet. Like, how much do you have to cry in public before people nickname you the weeping prophet? He's utterly miserable most of the time. I mean, he wrote the book of Lamentations. <laughs> and Israelites just gave him such a hard time. They put him in jail. He got out. They tried to kill him. He escaped. Uh, they generally just made his life terrible all around because he wouldn't quit telling them to cut it out. And all of this is important to know about Jeremiah because it's so easy to read a passage like ours that we have today and then just completely miss what's going on. So we're going to pick up in Jeremiah 15. So we're, this is Jeremiah talking to God, and then God talks back to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is depressed, and he has extreme emotions. 
So in verse, in chapter 15, verse 15, this is where we're going to pick up. Jeremiah talking. Then I said, Lord, you know what's happening to me. Please step in and help me. Punish my persecutors. Give me time. Don't let me die young. It's, your, it's on your account that I'm suffering. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. I never joined the people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sin. Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help is as uncertain as a seasonal brook, a spring that has gone dry. I'm not sure we sometimes recognize the full weight of what Jeremiah is saying here. He is so honest, painfully honest about how he feels. And there's a lot of things in here that might make us uncomfortable. First of all, in verse 15, Jeremiah says, punish my persecutors. He's basically saying, God, you know what's going on in my life. Everyone I know has turned against me and you are doing nothing about it. Can't you take them out? He's like begging God, punish these people who are ruining my life. And what's more, bold, he tells God, it's God's fault that everyone hates him so much. Can you imagine being like, God, this is your fault. How could you possibly be doing this to me? It, he literally says that in verse 15. It's on your account that I'm suffering. In other words, if you didn't ask me to do this, I would not have such a terrible life, God. Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you doing anything? <laughs> Just imagine Jeremiah like wanting to choke God. I don't know. That's what I get in my head. Second, in verses 16 and 17, Jeremiah tells God just how good he has been. Hasn't he done what God has asked of him? He said the words. He's watched his friends party, live their best life. And he sits alone and is upset about how awful everyone is and how they're going to be punished. Essentially, he has no fun. He has no friends. He doesn't get to enjoy life which at least all these evildoers are getting to have a good life. At least they're going to parties. At least they're having good relationships. At least they're not alone. You're telling me that they're all terrible, God, and I believe you, except they look like they're having a great time, and I'm the one over here nicknamed the weeping prophet. Just cry constantly. And then most shocking, Jeremiah directly attacks God's faithfulness and goodness. So when you think of words that are associated with God that you might like put on a mug or a plaque or a wall hanging that you find in a Christian bookstore, like some of the words are like shepherd, rock, lion of Judah, shield, unchanging, stable, like all these nice positive words. Jeremiah calls God a seasonal brook, which again, weird insult. Uh, it doesn't really roll off the tongue. Except he is accusing God of being completely unstable and never near, there when he needs him. That's a pretty shocking thing to say to God, I think. You just be like, dear God. All the Bible has taught me, 
my faith community has taught me that you're stable and you're always available, except that my life experience has taught me that you're not. Why are you never here when I need you? He's basically saying, God, you're here sometimes when it's convenient for you. But when I really need your help, the river's dried up. You're nowhere to be found. Why is this going so badly? (laughs) Why, if you have told me to do this, isn't it easy peasy? Why? After all, if God tells you to do something, surely it will just all work out perfectly, right? You will never run into anything hard. You will never have any sad emotions. Everyone will still like you. Why isn't it going well? He's just really mad. Before we move on to God's response, I just have a question for you to ponder during the week. Like, how do you feel about how Jeremiah is talking to God here? Like, has your faith community, whatever that looked like when you were growing up or as an adult, did they make room for you to be this honest with God? Like Jeremiah? I don't, I don't know that. I mean, how many sermons have you heard on lamentations? There's half of the Psalms, if not more, is the writer of the Psalms being like, God, look at this crap. You say you're God, why are you ignoring me? You say you're going to be there for me, why are my enemies crushing my spirit? And also half the Psalms like call for revenge against enemies, which I think is hilarious. There's literally parts of the Bible where it's like, God, crush the bones of my enemies. Grind them and make them into flour. (laughs) Wow. Why do we have such a hard time being honest with God? Like when we pray or like a prayer is just a conversation with God, right? So if God knows already... Well, you might as well just be honest. It's not like you're like, dear God, everything is fine. It's fine. God's like, I know you're about to strangle someone. (laughs) How do you feel about how honest Jeremiah is being with God? How God responds to him. In verses 19 through 21, this is what God says. This is how the Lord responds. And I like that Jeremiah like wrote down. He's like, this is what I said to God, and this is what God said to me. He had no idea we'd be reading it like 2,500 years later and discussing in every detail. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Don't let them influence you. They will fight against you like an attacking army, but I will make you as secure as a fortified wall of bronze. They will not conquer you, for I am with you to protect you and rescue you. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly keep you safe from these wicked people. I will rescue you from their cruel hands. There's lots of interesting things to pull out of here. The first thing that I find interesting is that God does not seem phased in the slightest that Jeremiah is calling him names and accusing him of abandoning him. Doesn't bother God at all. God's not like, first of all, slow your roll. I'm God, and I know what you did last summer. God's like, first of all, approach me with respect. No, doesn't phase God whatsoever. God doesn't get defensive. He doesn't accuse Jeremiah of being soft. He doesn't say, do better. 
He doesn't say, watch your tone. None of it. And he also does not address Jeremiah's plea to punish my enemies. God never says, all right, you have a valid point. They are terrible. I will take them out for you. Just this once, I'll take them out. Instead, God says, come back to me. I will protect you. In verse 18, God says, return to me. I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. In other words, Jeremiah, don't turn. Don't quit looking at your circumstances. Quit it. Take your focus away from this existential crisis that you're having and remember why you are doing this. Remember that if even one person listens, that it's worth it. Remember that I have been with you from day one and I've never left you alone. God does not tell Jeremiah to keep his negative attitude to himself. Instead, God says, come and just spend some time with me. I will not let you stay trapped in the dark night of your soul. God actually rewards Jeremiah's honesty with comfort. I will restore you. Do we have that attitude towards God? Are we ever like, yes, I'm going to be honest with God, and then what I will get out of that is actually a better relationship. When we're honest with each other, generally we get a better relationship. Right? Why would that be any different with God? And also, who do we think we're fooling? (laughs) So God says, I'll restore you. Just come spend some time with me. And then God reminds Jeremiah, why are you doing this? God says, don't speak worthless words. Don't let them influence you. You have to influence them. In other words, dear Jeremiah, don't turn into one of those other really popular prophets who just say what everybody wants to hear. Don't turn into one of those people who are just in it for the money and the friends, and the fame, and the power, and the easy life. If you do that, you might have a good life, but your soul will rot. You will know, Jeremiah. Don't turn into one of those people. You will know deep down that you're lying, that you are not speaking truth, and that when people trip and fall, that it will be at least partially your fault, because you knew, and you didn't say anything. Don't pretend that you can just be like them. The only reason they can live this way is because they're in denial. They refuse to face the truth. Don't look at them with all their fake social media lives and say, I want to be like that. We never do this, right? We never look at other people in real life and on social media and be like, oh, they have the perfect marriage. They have the perfect kids, they have the perfect job, they have the perfect house. If only I could get to that point. If only I could just do that or have that, then it would be better. In the words of Jesus in Revelation, they pretend that they are wealthy and healthy and well-fed and well-dressed. But actually, they're sick and poor and blind and naked. Don't think they have it better than you, Jeremiah. You're sad because you're watching them party and live it up and you're not participating. But don't you know that they're just drowning their pain too? 
You're not really missing anything. And I have nothing against, you know, we have nothing against having a beer here. But there's a difference between having fun with friends and trying to escape from something. Don't believe their social media life, Jeremiah. Don't speak worthless words. Don't just say what everyone wants to hear you say. Just as a side note, this is like one of the biggest temptations for church leaders, I think, that exists. Just say what people want to hear. Just don't rock the boat. Don't say anything that'll upset the people who give the most money. Don't ruffle any feathers. Just preach positivity all the time. And actually, I think that this is one of the most foundational reasons why there are so few affirming and inclusive churches because the leaders don't want to face the consequences. We're just like, we just won't talk about that. We just will never come out and say. We just won't. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to lose our tithers. We, we just, we'll just talk about God's love, which is wonderful. Like, that's the whole reason we're here, right? But how is God's love truly God's love if it really doesn't include everyone? And I've been around this a lot. Like, I was born in church, and then I went to school for church, and then I went to grad school for church, and then I volunteered in church for practically my whole life. I've interned in church. I've been paid full time to work in church. So many times, there's such a temptation to be like, oh, uh-huh, I'm just going to pretend that the person didn't say that. I'm just going to pretend we didn't hear that. We're just going to keep going and just not. Don't speak worthless words. Like, this goes for me. Like, I need to listen to this. But y- y'all too. Don't let people dictate to you how you should live your life. Don't let people dictate to you what you should want. We talked about this last week or the week before. Sometimes freedom doesn't feel like freedom at first. If you've been hiding part of yourself or you've been living a lie with part of yourself for so long, if you've not been able to be who you fully are with the people that you love for so long, you say... Being honest is going to cause some pain. Maybe. It really might. It might not feel like freedom at first, but there is nothing more liberating than just being able to speak the truth, to be able to show up with your full self in a place and have people see you fully and accept you and say, we're so glad we're here. And finally, God says, They will fight against you, but they won't win. I will protect you. I will keep you safe. And this is actually the most interesting thing that I find in this entire passage. God's concluding his talk with Jeremiah, and God's like, they will fight you, but they won't win. Jeremiah's whole complaint is that they're fighting him. God doesn't say, I'm going to stop the fight. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, he says, he's not, I'm not going to do anything about the people that are fighting you. They, in fact, they're going to fight you, Jeremiah. They're going to keep fighting you and keep fighting you and keep fighting you. But they won't win. 
God doesn't reprimand Jeremiah for wanting his enemies to be like burned to the ground. I feel like that's a normal human emotion. Like that person's terrible. Take him out, God. This is a good reason why we are not God. Because we would just be like, and hit the red button on that person. (laughs) Except what if someone hit that red button on us? We probably have deserved it at some points in our lives. God doesn't say, Jeremiah, now you know I'm not going to take people out. That's not how this works. Okay, let's have a talk about what's right and what's wrong and we don't murder people. Okay, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, this is not how divine love works. They will fight you, but I will protect you. He's just subtly reminding Jeremiah about the message that he's preaching. God is not going to destroy his enemies because there actually isn't any room for revenge here. Not because God can't do what Jeremiah is asking for. God could just be like, and you're gone. The end. And roll credits on those people's lives. Of course. But if God did what Jeremiah was asking, it would actually ruin Jeremiah. He would be acting against the very repentance and grace that he's preaching about to these people. It would poison Jeremiah to get what he wants. In other words, or in the words of Jesus in Matthew, what, you can lose everything. Whatever you lose, don't lose your soul. God will not take out Jeremiah's enemies. Instead, God will build up the fortification in Jeremiah's own heart, in his own mind, in his own soul. He will give Jeremiah the strength and the resolve to keep going. I think that's just so interesting. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the disciples being in a boat in the Sea of Galilee alone. And the storm is crazy and it's, they're up all night. They're exhausted. They're fighting. And then Jesus shows up just like walking on the water nonchalantly, shows up to them. And they're like, how could you not fix this for us? Because they, they don't actually need God to fix it. They were making it just fine on their own. Sure, they were tired. Sure, they had a rough night. Sure, it was difficult. But they didn't need God to fix it. They just needed a little reassurance that they were going to make it through the storm. And we, like when life or relationships or truth or anything, faith, when it becomes unbearable or what we think is unbearable, we just tend to run away from it. We like hide it or cover it up or pretend it doesn't exist. We're just like, I'll just not think about that over there. But instead of opening the door for Jeremiah to get out, for Jeremiah to escape, instead of opening doors for us to escape, God just reframes whatever's going on. Whether it's painful or scary or terrifying or overwhelming or anxiety-inducing, God just reframes it and basically says, I get it. I get that you're having a hard time. But whatever you encounter... You may not avoid pain or difficulty or things that make you afraid in life. And I say may. I should edit that. You will (laughs) encounter things in your life that are painful and difficult and make you afraid. That's part of being human. You can't avoid them, but you can live in the middle. It doesn't have to crush you. 
You can live and you can know the kingdom of God. Revenge isn't the answer and escape isn't the answer. Just spending some time with God. Spending some time with your faith community. That, was, that will restore you. That will give you a little perseverance. It will give you some non-anxious presence in your life so that you can keep going. Sometimes we need to be honest with God. All the time, we need to be honest with God about what we want. Even if it's, like Jeremiah, murdering our enemies. And all the time, we need God to say, you can't have that. Just like we would say to a kid, right? If they're like, I would like to eat 12 donuts. No, because I don't want to clean up your throw up. Or perhaps, as an adult, we're like, I would like to take this whole bottle of alcohol. <laughs> this whole 12 shots. Well, no, because I don't want to clean up your throw up. <laughs> it's literally poison, so, you know, don't be surprised when you feel like it poisoned you tomorrow. Sometimes God says, no, you can't have what you want because it will poison you. This is not what love is. This is not what grace is. Grace is God looking at us and saying, I get how you feel. Remember that when you look at other people and their so-called perfect, perfect life, and you wish your life was like that, that their life isn't perfect either. Every person, every human goes through a full spectrum of emotions, probably on a daily basis. Instead of escaping, try leaning in. Just spend a little time. Let me restore you. I'm not going to take you out of the fight. But I'll make sure that they don't win. And so the other thing is, God says, I will make sure they don't win. Not you have to make sure they don't win. I'll do it. I will build a wall of bronze around you. Now, bronze is like not the most solid metals. But it was, that Jeremiah was in the Bronze Age. <laughs> so he was like, wow, bronze, that is a significant wall. We would be like diamond. That's what you can't get through. Steel and concrete. So we have a couple more songs to sing. And I just want you to like reflect, think when we're singing. What is it that God has asked you to do? What is it that God has asked of you that you would just rather run away from? That you would rather be like, mm, no. I'm just going to pretend I did not hear that. I'm just going to, um, that couldn't possibly have been God. That was my own human nature. It's just my mind. I need to take that thought captive. What is it that God has been asking you to do or to be or to become that you would just rather run away from? How can we lean in just a little bit so that God can build up our heart and we can actually persevere? Because, I mean, I don't know if y'all realize this. 2020 has been a doozy, but look at us. We're all here. <laughs> it hasn't taken any of you out yet. Your success rate, as I am very fond of saying, your success rate on bad days, 100% so far. You got this. What is God asking you to do that might be a little uncomfortable? 
We may not avoid pain or difficulty or things that make us afraid, but we will live. How can we live together? How can we be the best community together? <laughs>